is a, a, a service in which healing prayer is offered. But as many of you know, uh, Peter had to have a, an operation on his knee and he's recovering well, thank the Lord. Uh, but it means that you've got me this morning. When my very patient mother, who said she had to be? When, when my very patient mother was trying to tell me something and I kept interrupting or arguing, it's hard to believe, I know, she would eventually lose patience and she'd say to me, will you just shut up for a minute and listen? The beginnings of hearing God speak to us or minister to us or heal us very often involves being still enough to listen. Think of the Old Testament uh, Elijah. He's in a turmoil. He's running away, probably wisely and necessarily, from a very angry Queen Jezebel because he has, after all, if you know the Old Testament story in 1 Kings, been responsible for the obliteration of the priests of her pagan court. So he flees for his life to a remote place and he hides in a cave fretful and scared and the story tells us that he hears God not in the noise of the wind, not in the shrieking of an earthquake and not in the turbulent vortex of a fire but in a still small voice. Because actually God often uses a still, small voice to speak to us. And so if we're going to hear God's voice at all, very often we need to be in a place, a place physically or emotionally or spiritually, where we're able to be still enough to listen. Two of our grandchildren were stopping with us last week. They came here last Sunday. Ernie did enjoy our bouncy castle crash. And Ada, my seven-month-old granddaughter, is at that stage where when she's hungry, she wails. And the more hungry she gets, the louder she wails. And if food doesn't come quickly enough, she wails louder and louder and louder. And so sometimes if the food doesn't get there, she can't eat it when it does because she's crying so much. She's the only child in the world that's ever been like that, isn't she? Now, we too, as God's children, we're sometimes in a situation of need and we talk and we reason and we complain and we stomp and we demand and we fill our lives with so many distractions and obfuscations that we can't possibly be still enough to hear God who wants to speak to us in a still small voice and say to us, there's food but you're in such a state, you'll never eat it. And so we miss things. We miss God's promises. 
We miss God's word of forgiveness, of hope, of sending and commissioning, of healing. The wonderful truth, you see, is that God longs to speak and minister to us actually far more than you desire to have God speak and minister to you. Is God able in this context of our service this morning, able to speak and minister to us today? Or does God have to say to us in effect, will you just shut up a minute and listen? In this holy season of Lent, is there a sufficient still center at the heart of our lives and our spirits? Are we listening for God and are we listening to God? Because all discipleship, all obedience, all ministry and ultimately all healing starts with listening for God and to God. Being still is one way of readying us to be open to God. Still open. Often we think we are open to God, when in fact some of the times we think that we're not. There's a silly story of the Christian who falls over a cliff and just manages to grab a small branch on the way down. And there he is hanging helplessly. So he shouts, help! Is there anybody there? And after a moment or two, a voice says, yes, I am here. Who are you? I'm God. Oh, thank God says the Christian, please, please, rescue me. I'll do anything. I even promise to stay awake during Martin Atkins' sermons. I'll do anything. Do you trust me, says God? Yes, yes, yes. Are you open to what I want from you, says God? Yes, yes, as the branch begins to bend. Then let go of the branch, says God. And the Christian is silent for a, a long moment and then he cries out, well, is there anybody else there? <laughs> we can be open to all sorts of things, but not God's will and way. Open to money, to prestige, to affirmation, to flattery, to reward, to seduction. But are we open to God? It's often said, isn't it, don't just sit there, do something. But sometimes, and particularly in a season like Lent, it might be better to say to ourselves, don't just do something, as in anything. Sit there. Be still before God and be open to God. Because being open to God means being vulnerable and being vulnerable is not easy. 
Jesus knows that in the Garden of Gethsemane. Being open to God means being willing to hand over control of our lives to God. And that's hard. A long time ago, a Japanese Christian writer, Kazuki Kaama, wrote a book, a very famous book in the 1970s, called No Handle on the Cross. And one of the very early book covers of that book showed a man with a cross like a, a suitcase with a handle on it sort of walking down the street. The handle represents control and effectively what the book was about is the question, is the cross controlling you? Or are you controlling the cross? But there was no handle on the cross of Jesus Christ. The Son of God relinquished control and went to the cross, recognizing it as the only way to bring about the salvation of us all. It's an easy seductive thing for believers to believe that they're open to God, that they're doing God's will. I mean, you must be doing God's will, mustn't we? We're in church. When in fact, what we've often done is put a handle on the cross and on our faith and say, we'll let it down there and do this and we'll take it up here and take it to church. We want people to see Who's got control? So take care. Be honest with ourselves. And amidst all the church going and church speak, as we approach Holy Week, we have to ask the sober control question. Are we actually open to God? Or are we just saying we are? Be still, be open, be willing. Let's just pause just for a couple of minutes and look at that gospel passage from John. I love it. Jesus has returned to the home of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. Lazarus is alive because Jesus has healed and raised him. And Martha and Mary were there at the time and they know it. And now we see signs of honor and reverence and worship. They've thrown a dinner party for Jesus. Martha has prepared it and she's there serving it. And Mary gets an expensive perfume worth a year's wages, we're told in the text. And possibly without a word to anyone, she just disappears. And the next moment, everybody becomes aware that she is knelt at the feet of Jesus. And she's pouring this expensive perfume, liquid perfume, over his feet. And as they watch on, she begins to wash his feet with her hair. Just as because you know I like these resonances. In a matter of days, Jesus will wash the feet of his disciples.
Now each of them, Lazarus and Martha and Mary, are not only open to Jesus, they are willing to respond to him appropriately. Theirs isn't some kind of academic or cerebral openness as they sit back. Theirs it's a practical, real, even intimate willingness to be willing to be with him, to do what's right. Now it's a healing service today. And so I say this, a sentence about each of the three characters. Some of us are like Lazarus. We need to be willing to let Jesus minister to us and to raise us from death if necessary. From whatever's killing us. To heal us, to set us free. Some of us, like Martha, need to be willing to serve Jesus. We know what he wants more than we acknowledge but we're keeping our distance. We keep asking for guidance, but deep down inside, we know he's already spoken. And some of us are like Mary, where we need to be willing to love Jesus, to honor him, to give not only our service, but to demonstrate the givenness of our very selves to him. And for many of us, genuine willingness is often the stumbling block for us. The obstacle to God doing something quite wonderful in our lives. It's almost as if God says, well, I know you're being still. And I know you're striving to be open. And I keep speaking to you, but there's no sign that you're willing to do what I ask. That gospel story connects very deeply and specially with those of us who have come to a point of saying this, I'm tired of my story and I now place myself in open willingness to your story. Because Jesus takes apparently useless things or things that have lost their way or their purpose like so many of us and gives them new meaning and value in God. Are we willing to do and be what God in Jesus wants of us this Lent? And finally, be filled. I spoke quite recently in a sermon about be being filled, and I don't want to repeat that, so this is a very short fourth and end point. But I want you to as the voluntary plays and you're listening to the voluntary and considering whether healing prayer is necessary today or you can just leave the church in the normal way and I hope go downstairs and have a cuppa. I hope you'll read that passage from Ephesians. Because it's the most wonderful passage and I just want to say one thing about it briefly in conclusion. All societies from the most ancient time to the most modern times, whether in a formal system or an informal system, have blessings and have curses. In some societies, the blessings are 
formal and formulaic, and the curses are formal and formulaic. In some societies, like modern Western societies, they're informal. And so we know the kindly word that somebody gives us just in passing, and we know the damning and the condemnatory word that somebody sometimes passes on another person. But all societies know what it is to have words of blessing and words of curse and condemnation. The start of Ephesians is a blessing. And what the writer of Ephesians is doing in that fantastic opening to that book is one long magnificent word of blessing. I'm praying, says the apostle, hear it to you this morning. I'm praying, says the apostle, to those meeting this morning in Methodist Central Hall, Westminster, that God may strengthen you with power through the Spirit in your inner being. I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'm praying that you, rooted and grounded in love, will have power with all God's people to grasp what is the, how wide and how high and how deep is the love of God in Christ. And I'm praying that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Isn't that just fantastic? Can you imagine being a small group of people on a, the edge of a rather large Greco-Roman city with possibly 23 of you and a few sheep receiving this letter and wondering who you are and opening it up and reading those words? So today, the final word is, after being still and being open and seeking to be willing, be filled with blessing. In fact, I don't do this very often, and some of you will do it and some of you will squirm. Turn to the person on the left and the right and say to them, today, be filled with all the fullness of God. Just try it. It's a word of blessing today be filled with all the blessings of God. So whatever else happens today, you've had a word of blessing pronounced over you. And before you leave here, you'll have at least another. So in the context of this healing service this morning, here in this place, where are we? I'm reminding us that we need to be still before God in order to hear. To be open to God, because God wants to speak. To be willing before God, rather than just neutrally accepting. And to be filled with blessing, with all the fullness of God. Why? Well, not so you can go out of the doors, puffed up with pride and saying, oh, I do feel blessed. I'm much more blessed than him is. Look at him. I'm a much better Christian than she is. Look at her. But so that as you go, you are filled this week as a leaky pot. Remember that, sermon. So that wherever you go, 
just a little of that blessing leaks out to wherever you are and whatever you do. Amen. So we're going to respond in prayer and a prayer song. We're going to sit quietly and we're going to sing prayerfully three times this short Taze sentence prayer.